Thanks for joining us today on Peace by Believing. My name's John Redmond, and I'm the associate pastor at First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. And today on our program, we're going to be thinking about how we can have a happy ending, even if we've had a bad beginning. And so today, wherever you may be in your life or whatever you may have been through in your life, and you may think, man, there is no way in the world that I could ever have a happy ending. Yes, you can. God specializes in bringing happy endings out of bad beginnings. If you have your Bible today, I wish you would take it and open it to the book of Ruth. We're going to be studying how this girl, Ruth, who had had a bad beginning in her life, actually ended up having a really good ending. We know from the Bible that Ruth had been born in a place called Moab, which was a pagan land, and so the people living there did not believe in God, so she was unsaved. And if that wasn't bad enough, we read that she ended up marrying a guy, and then not too long after they had been married, he died. And so Ruth became a widow at a young age. And so here's a girl, unsaved, and now she's a widow. And certainly as she looked forward in her life to her future, she probably thought she didn't even have anything to look forward to. And yet, miraculously and supernaturally, God gave Ruth one of the happiest endings in all of the Bible. Years later, she ends up meeting a man named Boaz, and they got married, and they had a young child named Obed. And then later on, she became the grandmother of a boy named Jesse, And then she became the great-grandmother of a little baby named David who grew up to become and to be King David. And then Ruth ends up being one of the ancestors of Jesus Christ. And so she had a very happy ending in her life. And so on today's program, we're going to be talking about how we can have a happy ending. We know that when we're going through difficulties, that God is working, that God is doing things in us, God is doing things for us, and that God ultimately wants to do things through us. And so today, as you're going through a difficult time in your life, you need to know that God's working in your life. He's purifying your faith. He's developing your character. He wants to do something in you, for you, and through you. But we have a responsibility too. There's some things that we have to do. And so on today's program, we're going to be thinking specifically about some things that we must do to have a happy ending. These are some things that Ruth did, and I know that if we'll do them, we can have a happy ending too. So I'm praying this sermon will be a blessing to you today. Now, let's flip the coin, turn the page, and think about the other side of this. What are we supposed to do? If God is doing all those things, it would seem like, man, that's just unbelievable to think that God... But what does God expect from me? Well, let me give you some things just to jot down. First of all, here's what you need to do if you feel like your life has fallen apart. Number one, you need to give God plenty of time to deal with that situation. Give God plenty of time. Ruth didn't meet Boaz a week after her husband had died. No, she wouldn't even have wanted to have done that. It took time. An oak tree doesn't grow overnight. It takes years, many years for an oak tree to grow. And so the first thing we want to do is give God plenty of time. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and here's what it says. God makes 
all things beautiful in its time. Or actually it says, God makes everything beautiful in its time. Let's say that together. God makes everything beautiful in its time. In its time. When it's right. When the situation, when everything's right, God makes everything beautiful in its time. Time. And so the first thing you should do is give God plenty of time. The second thing that you need to do, if you feel like your life has fallen apart, you need to make a personal, you need to make a personal commitment to Jesus Christ. That's what Ruth did. Now, you're in Ruth 4. Go back to Ruth chapter 1. Let's just look at this great verse that we saw a few weeks ago again. This is the greatest verse in this whole chapter, in this whole book. Ruth chapter 1 and verse 16. This is after Ruth's husband died, after Naomi's husband died. Naomi's going back to Bethlehem, and she's trying to tell Ruth to go back to her family there in Moab. But uh, Ruth says, no, Naomi, I'm going with you. And here's the verse. Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Now watch this next phrase. And your God, my God. Ruth was saved right there. And so, we want to make sure that we have made a personal commitment to Jesus Christ. Before Ruth met Boaz, Ruth met God. Before she had all those kids, she got right with God. So the first thing that after we give God time, but then we say, I've got to make sure that I have made a personal commitment of my life and of my soul to the person of Jesus Christ. This past Thursday night, we had a memorial service here at the church. It was in the chapel for a lady named Louise Lucas. Louise is, uh, or she was, Teresa Reynolds' mother, godly lady. And back in 2014, she was diagnosed with liver cancer and went through lots of treatments. And was hope, certainly, we had all hoped and prayed that she would be healed. And, and she was healed, but she just wasn't healed on earth. She'd been healed in heaven. But anyway, a few weeks before Louise died, she asked me to come and visit her. She was staying with her daughter and her son-in-law, Alan, and living, living in their house. And so I went by their home to visit with Louise. And when I got there, have you ever walked in a house and you just felt the presence of God? Well, I felt the presence of God that day. They had beautiful Christian music in the background. There were several friends and family members there. And they were actually talking about Louise's health her pending death, and she wanted me to come over there so we could plan her funeral. And uh, I didn't know how openly she would want to talk about that, but she was very open. She just wanted to get all that. She was telling me exactly what to do and basically said, if you mess it up when you get to heaven, I'm going to get on to you, so you better get this right. (laughs) I've known Louise for about 20 years, and so uh, even though she's not lived here all that time, through Alan and Teresa, I've known her. And about halfway through our visit, I said, you know, Louise, all these years I've known you, I said, there's one thing about you I don't know. I don't know when you got saved. And I'd be interested in knowing that. I thought, for one thing, it might be something I could share at her service. But I was just curious for my own self. When did she get saved? She said, John, I'm glad you asked that question. She said, you know, when I was a kid, my parents always took me to church. But she said, we went to one of those denominations that taught you could lose your salvation. You could never really know for sure if you were saved. And she said, that's how I grew up. She said, I never, I just didn't think a person could really know. And she said, fast forward, I got married, and my husband and I were living in Galena Park. We had, I think, all four of their kids had been born by that time. And, 
And uh, they were going to Second Baptist Church in Galena Park. And she said, we had just kind of started going over there. And she said, one day after the service, the pastor said to me, Louise, are you saved? Just a kind of a straightforward approach like that. Are you saved? And she said, Pastor, now you know you and I believe a little differently on salvation. She said, I, I wasn't raised in a Baptist church teaching eternal security and all. She said, I'll just be honest with you. No, I don't believe you can know that you're saved. Nobody can know that they're saved. I don't know if I'm saved and I don't know if you're saved. Nobody can know if you're really saved. We won't know till it's all over. And if you go to heaven, we'll know we were saved. Pastor said, Louise, do you really believe that? She said, that's what I believe. He said, we need to have a conversation. He said, are you and your husband going to be home this afternoon? She said, we are. He said, I'll be there. They set a time. He came to their house, took his Bible, began to show her verse after verse after verse that salvation is not of works. It's not doing good deeds. Salvation is a gift. Salvation, think about it this way. I don't know if he said it this way, but it's not a bad way to say it. Salvation is not a reward that God gives good people. Salvation is a gift that God gives to bad people. So salvation is something to be And he explained that to her, and he said, listen, if you receive Jesus, and he showed a verse in the Bible where, for example, in 1 John says that you may know that you have eternal life. And Louise said to me, John, as that pastor was showing me verse after verse and explaining how I could be saved and how I could know that I was saved, the Holy Spirit came upon me and convicted me that my greatest need was not the assurance of salvation, my greatest need was salvation. And she said, right there in our home, I prayed and I gave my heart to Jesus. And that's when I got saved. And it was a beautiful. She said, that, that day, my life was forever changed. Fast forward about 40 years. Six or seven weeks ago, Louise was at MD Anderson Hospital. They had been doing all these treatments. And one day the doctor came in and she and the family thought that the doctor was going to say, we need to try this chemo treatment or this radiation or this trial or something. And she was just waiting to hear what was going to be next or maybe a surgical procedure. The doctor came in and said, Louise, I have bad news. There's not anything else we can do. There's no more chemo, radiation, clinical trial, surgery. There's not anything that we can do. And so the only thing left to do is for you to go home and for you to be put on hospice care. And you, I'm being honest with you when I say you only have a few weeks left to live. Now, I don't know how you would respond if you got that word. But you try to put yourself in her and just the jolt that that would be to a human being, no matter how strong a faith you have. Louise said to that doctor, I'm paraphrasing, but here's what she said. She said, well, doctor, that is clearly not the word that I had hoped to hear today. But if, it, if, that's, if that's what it is, it is what it is. She said, doctor, now this, this, is, this is pretty much a direct quote. She said, I'm ready to see Jesus. And I hope you are. Now, I smoothed that out. What she really said is, I'm ready to see Jesus, period. Are you, question mark. And I don't know how he answered that question, but from there she came home, and I'm telling you she had the peace. What I'm saying is, here is a lady 
who 40 years ago made a personal commitment of her life to Jesus Christ. She was saved, and that changed not only her remaining 40 years on earth, it changed how she died, and it changed where she is today, and it will change her whole eternity. And so when the bottom falls out of your life, you've got to make certain that you have made a personal commitment of your heart and of your soul to Jesus Christ. I talked to a man on the phone the other night in a hospital in Clear Lake who's been through major heart issues, and uh, I just called to check on him, and we were talking, and he said, John, I just, he was giving me the medical update. He said, I fell, and I've got a, a brain bleed, and they put a pacemaker in, and the doctors are telling me that the next two weeks, this is critical for me because if I can live two more weeks, that brain bleed, my body will reabsorb that blood. But during these next two weeks, I'm at a, there's a high risk for a stroke, seizure, or some other problem. Would you just please pray that these next two weeks I can get through this? And I said, you better believe I will. And I said to him, Ron, I said, Ron, we've talked many times. I said, we know God can heal you. We're going to pray that he heals you. I said, but you know this now, either way this thing goes... You're safe in the arms of God. And you know what that man said to me about 8 o'clock on the phone on Friday night? And he said it. I could, couldn't see him, but I could tell he was getting emotional when he said it. He said, John, I want you to know, in the midst of everything I'm going through right now, I am fully trusting Jesus Christ as my Redeemer. Perfect peace. Why? Because he had made a personal commitment to Jesus Christ. So that's the second thing we have to do. Give God plenty of time. Make a personal commitment to Jesus Christ. And then the third thing, this is so, now we're going to finally get to Ruth chapter 4. The third thing is make a public confession of your faith in Jesus. Now, let's look in Ruth chapter 4. And uh, this is exactly what happens at the beginning of this chapter. Ruth or Boaz, rather, got all the leaders of the city, some of the leading men of the city, and they sat down there at the gate. And, and Boaz said to them, listen, you guys know Naomi and how her husband Elimelech died, and she has no money, she has nothing, and now her daughter-in-law Ruth is staying with her. And, and, and Boaz said, I think I'm just about the nearest of kin to the family, and Naomi has sold the property that belonged to her husband so that she could have food to eat. And men, what I would like to do is I would like to buy that property. And when I buy that property, I would like to take Ruth as my wife. She would come under my wings. I will provide for her. But he said, I think there's one of you men who is actually more closely related to the family even than I am. And this other man said, well, that would be me. And the man said, I'll tell you what, I'll buy that land. And Boaz said, okay, now, you can buy that land. But remember, when you buy that land, you've got to marry Ruth. You can buy that land. Or that man said that to Boaz. You can have that land. Because this man was probably already married himself. And he didn't want to complicate things like that. Anyway, in chapter 4, verse number 11. All the men, all the people who were at the gate and the elders said. Now, by this time... Boaz has made his declaration, I'll buy that land and I will marry Ruth. Look at this. All the people who were at the gate and all the elders said, we are witnesses. In, in other words, they're saying, Boaz, you have come to the city gate. You have assembled the leaders of this community and you have said that you want to marry Ruth. And we're witnesses of that. This is not a secret thing. This is not something that was done and nobody knew it. And then if you look in verse 11, it says, So Boaz took Ruth 
And she became his wife. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. And there came Obed, and later Jesse, and later David, and so on down the line. But the point I'm making is, when Boaz and Ruth got married, it was an open wedding. It was a public announcement. And so everybody knew that they had come together. Now, do you remember what I said last week? By the way, you still listening? Say amen. We're coming to the end, but i got to get this point across. I said last week that Ruth is a representation of us. She was born in a pagan land. We were born into sin. She had no hope. Without God, we have no hope. Ruth represents us. Boaz is a picture of Jesus. Boaz and Jesus, both born in Bethlehem. Boaz and Jesus, both very wealthy. Boaz and Jesus, both redeemers. And so, while Ruth represents us, Boaz represents Jesus. Now, think about this. When Boaz and Ruth got married, it was an open wedding. It was a public wedding. They, they let everybody know that they were together. What, how does that apply to us? Here's how it applies. Our relationship with Jesus Christ, while it starts privately and personally many times, eventually has to come out into the open. There has to be that public confession of our faith in Christ. And what I know, or I don't guess I could say I know it, but what I believe just based on what we see happening here at the church every Sunday is that in this service today and in the service that is about to happen after this service, there will be within these two services dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of people, maybe more than that, who have personally committed their lives to Christ. They've been saved but they've never made a public confession. One of my favorite verses in the Bible about this public confession is in uh, the book of 1 Timothy. Let me see if I can find this verse in chapter number 6 and verse 12. Listen to what Paul said to Timothy. He said, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called. Now listen to this. And have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In other words, he said, Timothy, not only have you believed in your heart, but you have confessed with your mouth and you have let it be known openly and publicly that you belong to Jesus Christ. And friend, I'm saying to you today, all of us need to do that. And I believe, maybe even in this service, there are two or three dozen people here who have received Christ personally in your heart, but you've never made that public confession. You've never come forward in a setting like this. And by your coming, you've never said, Jesus Christ is my Lord. And what I'm saying to you is today, yes, your life has fallen apart and you feel like that things are just going haywire and out of control. But what God is saying, listen, if you will respond properly, if you will turn to me, I'm doing something in you, for you, eventually through you. But what you've got to do is make a personal commitment to me and make a public confession of your faith in me. Jesus said, if we confess him before men, he'll confess us before our Father. If we deny him before men, he'll deny us before the Father. And I just wonder, I have, any, I have no way of knowing, but I wonder how many people are in this room right now who have believed in their heart but they've never confessed in their mouth. They have never done what Timothy did. They've never made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. You say, John, how do I make that good confession? Well, 
One of the ways you make that good confession, just a moment, if you've never done it, when we stand up to sing, you just get in one of these aisles. You just come to the front and say to me or my dad or one of the ministers, say, today, I want to make that confession today. I want to go public with Jesus today. I want to do what Boaz and Ruth did. I want to have an open commitment. I want to have an open wedding, an open acknowledgement of my faith in Jesus Christ. And so, Father, that's what I'm praying will happen today. People may not have even come to church thinking about making a decision or coming forward or letting a, making a public confession. They just came to church because it's Sunday. They did the right thing. And yet, God, today is the day that they need to confess you publicly. God, for some, it's the day when they need to come forward and make their personal commitment. Maybe they're not even saved yet. With heads bowed and eyes closed, would you just pray this to God? Say, God... Is there a decision that I need to make for you during this invitation? To come get saved, to come confess Christ publicly, to come join this church? Just ask Him. Say, God, is there a decision that I need to make? And if, even in the asking of that question, down in your heart you're, and in your mind, that you're hearing like, yes, of course, you know you do. Would you just say this to God? Say, God, give me the courage. I'm nervous. I don't feel comfortable with something like this. But God, it's what you command us to do in the Bible. God, give me the courage. Help me not to put this off another day. Help me not to go home and think about it. Help me right now when we stand up to sing. Give me courage to get in one of these aisles to come forward and to confess you openly and publicly. To make the good confession today in the presence of many witnesses. Is my prayer in Jesus' name. And all the people said, Amen. Well, it's so very important that we make a personal commitment of our lives to the person of Jesus Christ. And today, I want to ask you, have you ever done that? Has there ever been a time in your life where you opened your heart and asked Jesus Christ to come inside to forgive you of your sins and to make you a Christian? That's what life's all about, and that's how the Christian life begins when we receive Christ. If you've never done that, would you just pray this prayer right now? Say, Lord Jesus, I want you in my life. I am sorry for my sins. Please forgive me for everything I've done wrong. Come into my heart. Forgive those sins. Make me a Christian. I ask you to save me, and I trust you to do it. In your name I pray. Amen. And friend, if you have prayed that prayer, God has heard you. Today has become the day of your salvation. You have made a personal commitment to Jesus Christ. You've just been born again. Today is your spiritual birthday, and we're so very happy for you. But our next step after we make that personal commitment, and now you, uh, your next step after having made that personal commitment is to make a public confession of your faith in Jesus Christ. And so I would encourage you to find a good church in the area where you live, a church that teaches the Bible, a church where the people love each other. Now, don't look for a perfect church because there are not any of those out there. None of these churches are perfect because they're all filled with with people like you and people like me, and, and we're sinners. Even after we get saved, we're still not perfect. So you're not looking for a perfect church, but you're looking for a church that preaches and teaches the Bible, that lifts up Jesus, and you're looking for a church that has people who love each other. And you need to, in that church setting, in whatever the appropriate way would be, you need to publicly confess your faith in Jesus Christ. In some churches, that's done by walking down to the front during the invitation after the sermon and sharing that decision with a minister.
minister. In other churches, it's done in different ways maybe, but the most important thing is not necessarily how we confess Christ, but it's that we confess Christ. And so I would encourage you to do that. That is the right thing to do. It's not the easiest thing to do, but it's the right thing. Maybe even today, you could just call a friend or a family member or share with them, maybe a spouse or a neighbor. You could just say, hey, today I was listening to a radio program and I prayed at the end of it and I, sh and I received Christ into my heart. There's something about sharing that decision with another person that just seals it and cements it in our heart. And then when you get into church, you'll begin to grow and God will bless you in great ways. I would also encourage you to visit our website at peacebybelieving.org. We have some great resources in there. We have sermons that I think would be a blessing to you. You can listen to. We have booklets you can read about the Christian life and life in general. Just go to peacebybelieving.org, find a tab that says spiritual growth, click on that. I pray you'll be with us next time.